What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. What is crackalacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you once again without Andrew D. Bailey. I am, however, as usual, as ever, super excited to be joined by founder and editor-in-chief of NBA Math, plus an editor for Bleacher Report, Adam Frommel. Uh, We are going to continue our decade player ranking series that we've been rolling through. We are on to the Denver Nuggets. Before we get started, just the usual housekeeping notes. Please remember to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes, especially if you've enjoyed this series or are just checking us out because you want to see where your team falls and how their players shake out in this exercise, or if you just want to hear my MacBook give me iMessage alerts. Uh, We appreciate any ratings, reviews, and subscriptions that we get as the result of this. Please keep them going. We can also be found wherever else you consume your podcast, be it Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Whatever. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. You can also and should also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox. Just subscribe to us, like our videos. There is a playlist with all of our decade player ranking rankings on there. There's also a landing page on the NBA Math website, so check that out as well. All these team player rankings in one convenient location. Um, last but certainly not least, or actually second to last but certainly not least, shout out to our sponsor. Uh, for making this podcast possible, like always, betonline.ag. Be on the lookout for their promo code coming to you shortly, and we thank them as always. And finally, I I meant to do this on one of the previous podcasts that we recorded, but I forgot. Just wanted to give a shout-out to anyone who was impacted by the furloughs or layoffs at Vox Media. It's a shitty time for everyone. The media industry has been hitting hard, but uh, specifically over at SB Nation, there are some of the most creative writers uh, out there uh, in in the sports world, and it sucks to see so many of them being furloughed or or laid off. I hope that they're able to go back to SB Nation once this is all over, if it's ever all over, or that they land into better gigs with companies that appreciate them more than than Vox Media. And also condolences to Carl Anthony Towns and his family because his mother passed away from COVID. That was something else that I meant to mention on the previous podcast. So just playing catch up there and sending good vibes. His way and his family's way as well. Whew, deep breath. Adam, how are you doing? I told you I wasn't going to ask you how you were doing this podcast, but here I am, caring about your well-being. How are you doing? I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm pretty well. And, you know, there's just there's one thing that's bugging me, and it's that you have these these two adorable puppies, Wade and Thor, and I don't get enough pictures of them. And I, I definitely don't think that 
the Hardwood Knox account has has sent enough pictures of them. I feel like we need to make them them internet famous here because they're adorable. And my, my life would be better if, if they were in it more. You just need to message them and tell them to sit still for long enough to have said photos taken. And I also blame you for allowing me to get two puppies. This was That was like pandemic brain where I was just like, I need more joy in my life. We're already getting one. Let's just get two. And they're adorable, but they're also hellraisers, and I am tired. Respect to anyone who has actual <laughs> human being children and still finds a way to get stuff done because I'm overmatched. It's me versus two puppies, one of whom is sleeping right next to me as we record this. You saw him before before he was sleeping. Uh, I, it, me versus two puppies, and I'm losing. I don't know how you have – you have a kid. You have Davey. I don't know how people have multiple kids and get stuff done. I, I don't know how they do it. Respect to them. It's, it's a struggle every day. But yeah, the puppies are always going to win. Just you you might as well accept that now. I just the want puppies to... the puppies are going to make the all decade team before you do. That's I just look, as long as I get to sleep at some point they can make whatever team you want them to. We do have a, a, a Denver Nuggets all decade. Well, it's not an all decade team. The top 10 players of the decade for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, thank you to everyone who voted on their top 10 Nuggets of the decade. I say we we get right into it. Uh, we had a tie for 10th place in Denver. A lot of tough options here. Who did we end up with in the, the composite rankings, Adam? Yeah, this, this was an interesting one just because it felt like for the first time with any of the franchises we've covered thus far that there were there was a plethora of options that were actually compelling ones for those, those down-ballot spots. So we did have a two-way tie between Carmelo Anthony and Arana Flalo. Uh, we both had a Flalo in our 10th spot. Uh, the fan vote did not have him in the top 10. It did have... Carmelo Anthony at number nine, which is why he got in on the composite grades, even though neither of us had him. I think the reason we didn't is is pretty obvious here. It's that we're only looking at 2010-11 through the present day, which means that we only get 50 games of Melo in a Nuggets uniform before he was sent to the New York Knicks in that blockbuster trade that brought back Danilo Gallinari, among others. Um, so it, it, was, it was just far too small a sample, even though he played... Um, pretty effective basketball during that 50-game stretch was obviously still in his prime as a 26-year-old. Um, but but for me, a Flalo who just spent significantly more time in a Nuggets uniform was the the obvious choice over him. Yeah, do you remember lockout season, Aaron Aflalo? Just an absolute offensive monster. And he had a good year after that, but he was with the Magic for it. He was the centerpiece of the 2012 Dwight Howard-Andrew Bynum trade, Iguodala trade. I think we can all agree Aaron Aflalo was, was the centerpiece of that. Without question. Yeah, uh, just a solid... For those three seasons, and again, two of them were with the Magic, but just this really solid, high-value bucket getter, hitting a, with the exception, looking at the Denver season specifically, um, he does have three seasons that fall under this purview, but 2011-2012, hits 50% of his twos, shoots almost 40% from three, averages over 15 points per game, a nice little secondary playmaker, and there were just, in those post mellow days those immediate post mellow days like there were just stretches where he had to be um for certain lineups the primary scorer and i won't say it was you know always generated the prettiest results but he was someone who could who could do it like sort of like that boyan bogdanovich guy uh, who's definitely had a more sustained peak when you look at his career and is probably the better player overall but was just someone that you could rely on who wasn't a star who really probably shouldn't even have been a, a number two on a, on a really good team but he could get you buckets off the catch he can get you buckets in the post just from scratch in general and uh, I'm happy that the fans appreciated him just about or no I'm happy that you appreciated him instead of the fans as much as I did for this ranking 
Right. Yeah, he, he's definitely not somebody that you ever really wanted to be a star, but you could kind of pigeonhole him into that role and live with the results. Like a, a, a capable, maybe not an exceptional three-level scorer, a guy who can get buckets from the mid-range, who can, who can shoot threes, who can create from himself, who can play off the ball. Never at a very high level, um, but he did it well enough to get a shout-out from Kendrick Lamar, and I think that matters more than anything else here. Honestly, we need to bump him up five spots for that, probably. At least. Yeah. At least. A mellow for me, by the way, just didn't make the cut. 50 games is just nothing. Yeah, he wasn't even close for me. It feels like for the fans, it was just a matter of, you know, mellow played for them and and was really good in this decade, and so we have to throw his name in there. I think it's it's sometimes hard without, like, really pouring over the the archives and stuff to, to remember exactly when players changed hands and and whether they had three seasons within the cutoff or two seasons or in this case 50 games so I'll I'll excuse it because he did at least play for the Nuggets during this decade unlike Allen Iverson who did get one sixth place vote despite retiring before the start of the decade or is let's maybe this is galaxy brain thinking here but our fans just next level smarter than us and they're rewarding Melo for the return that he got them uh, in the trade where he forces mm. them to the Knicks. I think about how many players are on this list as the direct result of this trade that we're going to get to in a few moments. Right. I mean, without Mello asking for that trade and getting it, they don't get Jokic down the road. Yeah. Uh, that... So You can connect all of the dots back to Mello. Really? We, he was snubbed then. I don't know what we were thinking. Yeah. We should have had him much higher. Who is at number nine? At number nine, we have a current Denver Nugget, and that is Paul Millsap, who was a big free agent addition for the Nuggets back in 2017. Is He's he been the there for free agent addition in franchise history. I would probably say so. Yeah, okay. I think I, I mean a, a four-time All Star, um, still in his early 30s, as kind of like what was intended to be that finishing touch on a contending piece on a on a, 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 te- a contending puzzle. Um, I, I think he probably was. I would agree with you. I was always just curious. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's been here for, for two seasons and change. Uh, I say here because I'm in Denver, so I'm allowed to say that. Um, <laughs> I realized that was a little bit of a slip. But, uh, you, you know, an, another guy, like, much like Aflalo, where he doesn't necessarily, like, stand out in any one area at this stage of his career, the stage that's been spent in Denver, but, like, an exceptional defender a guy who still gets countless defenders to bite for his pump fake and is able to score from all over the court, a guy who can capably serve as more of a tertiary playmaker when 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 sets break down in the half court. Um, is he an all-star anymore? No. Is he a defensive player of the year candidate anymore? Not really, but like just good in all areas. And just with the exception of probably the, the beginning of his time and in Denver and in that first season, he ends up missing most of the year too. So that's definitely a part of it. There was times where he felt like he deviated from the offense uh, to look for his own shots. Maybe that's just the byproduct of not having enough reps um, because of all the time he missed or just trying to get comfortable. He's fitting quite well though. Otherwise, and I think you have to respect someone who, you know, he's never been the highest you should start to begin with, but his role is clearly diminished from what it was when he was coming over from Atlanta. And I respect guys like him who can make that transition, I won't say seamlessly, but in time effectively. And even now, his availability can still be an issue. But when he's on the court, the Nuggets are very clearly an above-average defensive team. And so, no, he's not going to have that same profile that he did um, during his years in Atlanta. That Part of that is age, but he's still just so functionally effective and valuable that if you're rank the 
all the current players in the NBA. His volume probably keeps him out of the top 50, but he's also probably still right around there. And that's, you know, looking at looking at what's happened over the past three years, I think that that's actually super impressive. Yeah, I think he's also just held back a little bit because of the injuries. You know, like we had uh, the, the, the first season in Denver, only 38 games played. Then he missed 12 last year. Um, and he's managed to stay mostly healthy this year. Um, but you know, the, those, those minor and, and more major injuries have piled up a little bit. And especially during that, that first season where the integration process with him and, and, and with Nikola Jokic and, uh, with Jamal Murray, it, it kind of got held back because they were, they were so, so new into his tenure there when, when he went down, um, that he hasn't, I, I, I hesitate to say he hasn't lived up to his potential or the free agent signing, like he might not have provided as much value as expected because of that. He, I also will say he's one of those guys that I've always wished would take more three pointers. I know he's had some choppy three three point splits when you look. Yeah, at but his you wish that about everyone. That's also fair too. I, yeah. I want everyone to take more threes. Forty four percent from three this year, just only three point seven attempts per thirty six minutes. Who do we have next? Is this another tie spot? We had a few ties here. No, we don't. So we have alone in eighth place. We have Wilson Chandler, who was eighth for both of us um, and who was 10th for the fans. Um, I, I think this is the first time we really get to bring up the, the fairness concept that we talk about in every one of these episodes, because Wilson Chandler is third in minutes played um, over the last decade for Denver. And he was more than just there, you know, a capable three and D guy who kind of embodied what we've come to appreciate about tweeners in this modern era where, you know, six, eight, two thirty five pounds. Like he was, he's been a little bit too big for a lot of small forwards to cover when he tries to go inside. And if a, a bigger guy is covering him, he's just quick enough to get past him. He doesn't dominate either matchup, but he's good enough and big enough and physical enough to kind of, uh, to contribute in, in every, in every one. Yeah, and you know, the, the fact that he could do some stuff off the dribble in addition to that, that's always kind of helped offset the fact that his his three-point percentages are never, or rarely, I should say, as high as you would like. Um, so shot 35% from three, though, during this stretch in Denver. And when I was doing research for this, I was surprised. I, I probably thought he was injured more, um, and maybe I was just getting his availability completed with Danilo Gallinari's in Denver. I never would have guessed that he is third in minutes played for the Nuggets over this decade. That's one of the things that right. kind of caught me off guard. And so the thereness factor matters, and then just, just solid. Uh, you know, 2016-2017, Wilson Chandler especially, was just absolutely on one on offense. And, and so just always a, a really solid player and ends up being – you know, looking at the contracts they signed him to, looking at some of the um, some of the fair weather success that they had during those post mellow years, like ends up just being like one of those understated pieces that that they were able to add, where at least made their team interesting, even though uh, his his time with them kind of predates them being really good, like they are now for the most part. I think it's easy to forget just how much time he spent in Denver. He was a part of that Carmelo Anthony trade, and he didn't leave until he joined the Philadelphia 76ers for the 2018-19 season. Like that's a lot of time spent uh, spanning a number of different mini eras in in this franchise's history. And they just gave him away in that trade, right? Like they just sent mm -hmm. him into Philly's cap space that year. Okay, so yeah, yeah, he was there. He outlasted Danilo Gallinari. Yes, or did they leave in the same offseason? Uh, I think he outlasted I think you, him. I think I'm trying to remember my timeline here. Because Gallo signed um, with the Clippers in. No, and um, yeah, he he did outlast him. He, season, he was yeah. there one more season. Yeah. We will get to Gallo, though. Who comes after Wilson Chandler? Coming after Wilson Chandler, we have Will Barton, who was seventh for the fans and who was sixth for you and seventh for me. Sorry, I had to look at my notes there. 
Um, but I mean, Will Barton, I thought I'm actually, I don't know if I'm surprised that he is where he is. Like, do I, I, I guess maybe personally, I find it low. He's just really, I know he had the injuries last year. And so maybe that holds back his ranking a bit because he comes back and he's just not really ever as effective, but he's been really good and sort of, I respect the almost come out of nowhere-ness coupled with the actual there-ness where his career has really taken off in Denver uh, after coming over from Portland. Someone who, uh, he's not really a properly sized wing and some of the defensive metrics love him this season. Uh, he's been really good defending one-on-one, but I also think that's the product of some of the lineups he plays in and then he's not going to foul and so all those things probably weighed into some of those metrics. But when you look at what he can do offensively like a pretty good catch and shoot guy he can do some work off the dribble even if you maybe don't trust his off the bounce jumper this season specifically he's getting inside more uh can be that secondary playmaker and so he just fills a lot of holes and I just he's sort of like that the NBA equivalent of like a five tool player it feels like to me and then there's also just that electric intangibility about him where you know some of the possessions where he's working on the ball you don't really know what's going to happen. Like, it could end in disaster or it could end in a masterpiece. And, like, I kind of respect that experience a little bit. And he, I think you can argue, if you're looking at, maybe this is being too recent, but if you're looking at a prospective playoff series for the Nuggets, you could probably make the case, especially this season, given how much Gary Harris has struggled, that he's their third most important player. Um, just because you still need that second face-up weapon, aside from Jamal Murray. And if you're not going to lean on Michael Porter Jr. in that capacity, in high volume at this stage... The only other guy that can really generate that type of offense in this rotation is Will Barton. Agreed. Agreed. And I, I, I kind of think that he's one of the NBA's more overall underrated players. Uh, we, we credit him for his athleticism and transition, for his, his scoring instincts, for the excitability that you mentioned, because we don't really know what's going to happen. But I do think that that his abilities on the defensive end have largely gone overlooked because he's been an offense first player in the past. And and more than anything else, I think that he developed an unfortunate and inaccurate reputation as kind of a a ball hog who looked for his own shots at the expense of, of hitting open teammates, of creating for others, when in reality, like he's consistently developed um, into a better and better playmaker with the, with the exception of the injury riddled 2018-19 season where he just never really got comfortable but aside from that like he's really done a nice job blossoming into a guy who can really create offense for himself and others on a consistent basis which is not something that the Denver has a lot of on its roster aside from the stars yeah, I do wonder if maybe his defense value would be compromised more if he spent less time beside Gary Harris, who is going to take those tougher wing assignments as my voice just cracks there. Uh, so, But still, yeah, you, I think you could certainly argue that he might be closer to a net neutral defender than he's received credit for over his career. And then again, the offense that, that he gives you is even underrated. You know, playing off of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, it's a luxury, but can also be an adjustment when you're most comfortable working on the ball, which is what Will Barton is, but he works alongside them. You can have those three on the court together and you're just going to bulldoze opposing defenses. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you there. I, I wish that he, he just got a little bit more credit and I'm, I'm glad that you're giving it to him. Um, and, and who was after him? Uh, after him, we have another tie. Uh, this time we'll, we'll start off with, uh, with Gary Harris here. Um, who was in a tie for fifth place. Uh, he was sixth for the fans. He was sixth for me. And you actually had him up at four, despite this season's struggles. 
Really, the past two seasons. Really, the, yeah. I was I was going to correct myself too, but you beat me to it. I think I just appreciate one. You're talking about someone who had one of the least efficient rookie seasons in NBA history, and then all of a sudden turns into this incredibly valuable rotation player. The fact that his three ball really hasn't been falling over the past two seasons, and that that even his finishing. Uh, hasn't been where it was, at least when you're looking at 2017, 2018. It has picked up a little bit this season compared to last year. That's definitely That definitely is a drawback for his case, but I might have considered putting him even higher than I did, to be honest with you, just because of had he been more consistent on offense, just because of the workload that he shoulders on defense for this team. And even when the lineups aren't good defensive lineups, even when the Nuggets haven't been close to average defensive teams, you're talking about someone who's 6'4", not insanely long, who just covers these really tough wings on a regular basis. And I'm not trying to say that he's some elite defender because the level of difficulty doesn't have to infer ability, but it is evidence of value because the fact that they can put him on those types of players um, despite his size. And so that you really get three defensive positions out of Gary Harris to me is just this this huge deal. And I think he's been there now for long enough where you can uh, – take into account his thereness factor and then we don't have to completely forget about the offensive player that he was two seasons ago where it looked like this is going to be one of the most dangerous three and d weapons in the league and he might even be a little bit more than that because you looked at the chemistry he had off the ball with Nikola Jokic and his ability to duck in to the hoop and, and finish at the rim the fact that that's come down over the last season and a half or so again it it is problematic but I still think he's done enough in the aggregate to warrant a top four finish for, for the decade so he is fifth in minutes played for the decade, um, which I think is important here because a lack of availability has been one of the primary knocks against him. It's It seems like it's been a steady stream of minor or nagging injuries that have largely held back his ability to continue the promising development we saw throughout the first four years of his right now six-season career. He's only 25 years old. We don't really know which way he's going to trend moving forward. Um, but you know, these, these last two seasons, I think maybe, maybe unfairly knocked him further down on, on my list than I expected just because of the the disappointment and the lack of development and regression in so many, so many areas. It's hard, it's hard to know how, if to what extent those are linked to the injuries that he's worked through. Um, it's important that head coach Mike Malone does seem to implicitly trust his abilities on defense. He does trust him to to handle a bunch of different often tough matchups but the inability to to shoot these last couple of seasons the lack of finishing ability around the rim like like as as you alluded to like the the off ball work that that he did with Jokic just as a as a cutter a backdoor cutter and a finisher around the hoop like so many of those reverse pick and rolls that they ran ended up being some of the nicest highlights we've seen in the last decade of you know, under the rim play, you know, the, the very special or very, very solid plays as, as the starters like to put it. Um, it's so it's, it's difficult for me to separate the trajectory from the cumulative value. I think that the cumulative value probably demands higher placement, but because we're, we're looking at, at their importance to the franchise too, I think that his lack of growth has put more of a cap on their ceiling than we expected coming off of that magnificent 2017-18 season. I think that's all fair. Who was he tied with? Uh, he was tied with Kenneth Fareed. 
um, who was fifth for the fans, fourth for me, and seventh for you. Uh, very much a fan favorite in Denver, uh, the Manimal. Just those thunderous dunks, the the energy with which he played. But at the same time, like you take away those highlights and the fan favoriteness and the thereness, and I, I think he was kind of disappointing too, right? It, he was one of those players that really just couldn't keep up with the progression of, of the league's preferred style of play is really what it was. You look at what he did as a rebounder, a high-energy player, but he was also just never really this incredible play finisher from the from the ranges where he should have been most affected. But but the most damning thing, even more so than kind of this iffy fit on the defensive end, is like for him not to develop really any sort of a jumper where you couldn't necessarily – trust him to make shots outside of you know the restricted area or definitely outside of the paint um that ended up being incredibly problematic and so it sucks when you see a player who was so electrifying early on in his career um that career ends up fizzling out sort of suddenly where he he went from this maybe it was more gradual in denver his decline than i'm sort of painting it because it does feel like he got increasingly less important to them at least during those final couple seasons but just looking at what he was supposed to be what that extension was supposed to represent um relative to what he ended up becoming to them it's disappointing i don't think that we can penalize him too hard for that though because we're just looking at especially those first few years in denver he was uh, the counting stats were good for him again that high energy player who could really get up and down the floor give you a presence on the glass even though he wasn't of the biggest player and it was someone they looked to during those interim years as hey maybe we actually have this this building block and it turns out that that's not what he was but the fact that he could incite that sort of thinking even if only for fleeting seasons i i think it means something and i i mentioned at the top of the podcast or rather before we started recording that i was never really the biggest fan of his game even when he was kind of just churning through double doubles Still, I don't think you can ignore the, the contributions. And me having him at seven, I totally understand why the composite rankings and the fans specifically end up having him higher. Yeah, I actually had him high, higher than the fans uh, at fourth as opposed to fifth from the fans. And it was largely because of the fairness factor and just the way that he invigorated the fan base. Um, I, I do think that matters, especially in a city that its first love is, is definitely football. And the basketball team struggles to generate coverage, it, it, even when it's good. And I, I think that having that that fan favorite who brought fans to the Pepsi center, who made nightly highlight reels that, that that did matter. Now, then again, like the nuggets were consistently less effective with him on the court. It was very easy for opposing teams to run pick and rolls, get him to switch onto them and just abuse him in in isolation defense. Um, so it's, it's another case where like there, there are conflicting factors here, but but for me, just given the Nuggets' struggle to acquire and maintain relevance in Denver, um, I, I wanted to give a little bit more credit to the intangibles here. Probably the most polarizing player on this list where I think he could have had the widest scope of, of ranges, where you could probably and, easily justify putting him where you did. But I'm, I also consider him putting him a little bit lower than seven, which is where I had him. Excluding Carmelo Anthony, who I think there was some confusion about how much time he spent in Denver this decade, he had the widest range of outcomes from the fan vote. Like Fareed, <laughs> Fareed was as high as first, as as second place on some ballots. He was unranked on others, and we didn't really see that complete contrast in outcomes with as many players. Scientifically proven. There we go. 
Who's yep, up next? You cannot argue with that. <laughs> uh, up next, we have Jamal Murray at fourth. Um, the fans had him at third, which doesn't surprise me, given his importance to the current iteration of these Nuggets. You and I both had him at fifth. I love Jamal Murray's game. I don't think that's any secret at this point, even when the results haven't been there. You know, just the confidence with which he plays, the form of his jumper, the swagger, the blue arrow celebration, like all that stuff has just has made me very convinced that that he is going to be an an absolute star in this league. I think he's still trending towards getting there. I definitely don't think he's produced like that thus far. But man, like I've just always loved his game. Yeah, he's there's he has this J.R. Smith gene about him where he can both win you and cost you playoff games. And that happened in the playoffs last year for the Nuggets. But he is still incredibly young. And so the hope can be that the efficiency for him comes up. Still, he's really one of the very few players on this team that can hit um, an off-the-dribble jumper with any semblance of consistency. I think there's probably untold value in having a point guard who so comfortably just plays off Nikola Jokic, where we've seen probably over the past two seasons that, yeah, Murray can lead some of these uh, units on his own, at least on the offensive end, uh, but he's so much better alongside Jokic, and that's not going to happen with a lot of other point guards just because they're going to be so used to working with the, the ball in their hands. And, and this year he's really, he's at least shooting a career, I say at least, but he's shooting a career high uh, on two pointers. And yeah, there's some variance in his performance, but the fact that you have someone who, like you talked about with his confidence, isn't going to have a problem taking the, the biggest shot in crunch time and that this player is still only 23, just turned 23 in February, that's absolutely monstrous. For your future, I would not have given him a max extension personally. I, I wouldn't have, have let, either yet. Yeah. I would have let that ride out to restricted free agency and dared anybody to give him that type of money over uh, four years or even three. Like the, the threat of a shorter deal with a player option wouldn't have scared me as much. But I also respect the investment that the Nuggets are showing in him and then their ability to continue developing him. And I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's impossible that this ends up being an okay contract. You're never going to look at it as a value contract. I think that very seldom happens with max deals, but he still has a a chance to live up to that billing. And I was really excited to see and hope we still get to see him in the playoffs just because I love that. Maybe fans find it more frustrating than not where there are these vanishing acts down the stretch, but then he can also put you on his back. But I kind of appreciate that variance. Like I enjoy watching that. And so he's a player that, that I find just absolutely magnetic. On November 5th, 2016, with five minutes and 14 seconds left in the first quarter, Jamal Murray hit a three-pointer against the Detroit Pistons. And it was notable because he had missed the first 17 shots of his career. And, you know, that's ultimately irrelevant. Like, he's he's obviously already bounced back to become a valuable offensive player. But I think it kind of speaks to how, from day one, he's also been tasked with filling a role that he wasn't necessarily ready for just because the lack of playmakers on this Denver team who could create their own shots um, because he was simultaneously trying to shore up his, his ball handling skills, which lagged behind what you might expect from a point guard while also learning how to play off the ball with Jokic, which is not something we typically see from a one guard. Um, there, there were so many different hurdles that he's had to overcome throughout his thus far brief career. He, he only just turned 23 that I think ascending to this point already is is a huge positive and gives me even more confidence that we have not yet seen the best from him my only recommendation for him would be to maybe watch what he posts on instagram would probably just be i'm sure he was just hacked right (laughs) yeah him and draymond green 
both. Look at that. We worked it into a podcast about, about, the, about the Nuggets. My pronunciation of Draymond Green for anyone who's curious about what we're referencing. I'm really proud of you. Guys, are you looking to last longer than the value of a New York Knicks first round draft pick? Get the BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Number three for the Nuggets. Who was it? No one, because we had another tie. Uh, this time, a, a two-way tie for second place. Uh, one of the, the two people tied was fourth for the fans. He was second for both of us, and that was Ty Lawson. Uh, Lawson's career in Denver did not end on the highest of notes after um, multiple DUI arrests. I, I think they, they chose to part ways with him when it was was clear. I, I, I believe that, if I remember correctly, he was also frustrated by them choosing another point guard in the draft and and had like a video during the draft of him complaining or something. Um, that point guard? Was Jamal Murray. Yeah, I was, I was, I was hoping you were going to finish my sentence, but I guess we're, right. we're, we're not that in sync just yet. We're trying. We're we're getting there. But yeah, I mean, what he did before the uh, the unfortunate ending to his his Denver tenure was was pretty impressive. Like I I feel like he's one of those guys who we've largely forgotten just how good and explosive he was on offense. Like a consistent 2010 threat, one of the better passers in the league, blindingly fast. Um, just all all of that. Like he he made he he was there before Denver really became a, a true contender again if you would consider them that now um but he made those interim nuggets teams really fun just an absolute bullet off the dribble so quick and you look at his you look at his size 511 and the fact that he was better than a coin toss finisher around the rim um just knowing really how to put you know if he's going to put more arc on his shots or just really figuring out how to get keep defenders on tilt so that he's not being as heavily contested around the rim just really scary to face and his peak i mean you look at uh the four seasons in denver he spent much longer than that there a total of uh six seasons in denver but the four seasons between 2011 and 2015 16.4 points per game eight assists hit 48.4 percent of his twos and shot almost 36 percent from three he could be a legitimate engine for an above average offense and just when when we were first going through this i had just forgotten how good he was because that's how far removed we seem from peak Ty Lawson. He hasn't played in the NBA since 2017 when, when he was on the Kings. So uh, I think it's probably easy to forget how good he was, but when he was good, he was damn good. One of the better players we've seen without an all-star appearance, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was, I was trying to look up where he is in like win shares among players with no all-star appearances this decade. He's only 34th, but I think that's a little unfair just because we're limiting, um, or we're extending the time frame beyond when his career ended. So if we isolate that to 2010, 11 through 2016, 17, even including the period in which he declined for other organizations, I'm um, still 11th among non all-stars and win shares, 
which is pretty solid when he's not playing for these contenders. Um, like, you know, we, we see Serge Ibaka and, and Marcin Gortat um, and George Hill and David West are on that list. Like those kind of guys who might not have been as important to their teams as Lawson was as the unquestionable offensive engine with the Nuggets. Um, but yeah, I mean, still obviously provided a lot of value without really getting too much respect for those efforts. Second in wins above replacement for the Nuggets in this decade, too. And that's nothing to to slouch at. It is not. Who was he tied with? Uh, he was tied with Danilo Gallinari, um, another, another guy. I was tied because I, I couldn't decide who to put at two. I ultimately went with Lawson, but it was a struggle. We both had the same thought process, I think, because I, I also was trying to figure out how I wanted to order those two at two and three and ended up with Gallo at number three. The fans did the reverse. They had those two at uh, two and three, but Gallo did come out ahead at, at number two. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe he would have been a guaranteed second place finisher if he hadn't torn his ACL in Denver, but it was like the, the injury pro knock was always what held him back, even though he was so obviously a, a really excellent offensive player. One of the better shooters that we've seen in a while, um, capable of creating, capable of shooting over anyone, an underrated defender before the injuries kind of sapped some of his athleticism. But there was a time when he was first coming over as as the centerpiece of the return in the Carmelo Anthony deal that he was like he he was a, a, a semi lockdown defender in addition to being a, a reliable scorer. What I what I respect most about his game, you know, you mentioned what Ty Lawson's value is compared to others. Uh, who haven't made an all-star game. Danilo Gallinari, I would imagine, has to be up there, too. Would probably be higher than number 34 on that list. But what I most appreciate about his game, even as time goes on and it's sort of changed a little bit, whereas you mentioned, with all the injuries, he's definitely not as explosive as he once was. He blurs the line between primary scorer and complement. His shot profile is... It's inclusive. Like, it's heavy on spot-up opportunities, but dotted with these, like, reliable self-creation looks and he has a penchant for getting to the free throw line and that's part of what makes him such an an efficient offensive weapon uh he showed that time and again in denver he carried it over to the clippers he showed it again with the thunder there's that level of consistency there what really hurts him is just the availability had he been healthier in denver you know we're talking about someone who i think probably would have been my inarguable number two but just someone who is so effectively able to straddle that line between hey we do need you to create your own offense, but you're also going to have to play off not just some people, but a bunch of different people, and you still have to be really impactful. I just I, I respect it. Uh, I've used the word respect a lot in this podcast, but Daniel Gallinari is probably one of the more underrated players of this, just this specific era, and I, I think that there's a case. If you wanted to tell me that, hey, he belongs over Ty Lawson and you really shouldn't be waiting you know, minutes played, um, or that type of a sample, I, I might not provide you with that much pushback because I do think that he was closer to stardom in Denver than Ty Lawson was. Maybe maybe by a hair, or maybe I'm even wrong just because Ty Lawson had more control over the offense as the primary passer. But Daniel Granari is just, he's still so damn good. And, and his time in Denver, you know, that, that mellow trade, when you, when you trace back um, all the branches to what they ended up receiving for it, I don't know if you would say that he's a worthwhile centerpiece because they didn't have a ton of success with him there, but he was just still really good, really solid. And even now, it was like that while he was in Denver, and then even now, he's he probably typifies what we mean when we say a fringe all-star. Like, that's the type of player that he is. So speaking of fringe all-star, um, I, I've, re- I've really found that I enjoy putting you on the spot 
during these oh, uh, no. during these episodes. So we're gonna do it again. Uh, Gallo is ninth place in win shares from 2010-11 through the present um, among players with zero all-star appearances. Can you name the rest of the top ten? Oh no, I wouldn't even be able to begin to to do that. Are they players that have like? little experience where they didn't really have a chance to make an all-star appearance just yet? Uh, just looking through the list, I think there are two, three guys who should have been all-stars if the NBA did what it should and expanded the rosters a little bit to match the uh, the growing numbers of players in the league as we've had more teams and, and more guys cycling through roster spots. The rest are like high-end role players who have been very good all right, uh, for at least some portion of the decade. So how many am I trying to name? All 10. Can, I'm not, I, I've spotted you one with Gallo. All right, Gallo. Mike Conley has to be on there. He is number two. Tobias Harris? Tobias Harris is down at 18. All right. I should probably just stop there because I'm already running out of names. Gordon Hayward, did he ever make an all-star appearance? Uh, he did in Utah. All right. Some disrespect being thrown at Gordon Hayward from me. What about Lou Williams? Lou Williams is number 10. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Did Drew Holiday make it? He did. He made an all-star appearance. He did, he did with Philly, right? Yeah. I got right. like, It was like 2011-12, right before they moved him, I think. I'm already running out of names here. Did Eric Bledsoe make an all-star appearance? Uh, he did not, but he's down at 25th. Wow, I'm I'm really bad at this exercise. I feel like you just need to... Do you want me to just put you out of your misery here? Yes, I'm Number one, number one is Serge Ibaka. Okay. Number two is Mike Conley. Number three is George Hill. Number four is Marcin Gortat. Number five is Derek Favors. Six is JJ Redick. Seven is Jonas Valanciunas. Ooh. Eight is Greg Monroe. And then you got nine and ten, which were Danilo Gallinari and Lou Williams. Wow, Greg Monroe. Greg Monroe. Yeah, you, I mean, like the, the can you Pistons, tell me how old Greg Monroe is? By the way, Greg Monroe is still only like twenty eight, right? Twenty nine. Twenty nine in June. Okay. Boy, I this was podcast. Close. I was I was closer than you were on your trivia question. That was a hard. I never would have gotten Gortat. That's never. Yeah, the definitely, I would have definitely not Gortat. I was surprised you didn't get Surge. That seems like a fairly obvious one. <laughs> So speaking of fairly obvious, number one in our composite rankings was, drumroll here, Nikola Jokic. You surprised? Stunned? Oh. Shocked? Flabbergasted? I'm a little bit surprised because I just feel like Randy Foy was staring people right in the face. And the fact know, that they no, didn't pick him. No one gave Randy Foy a single vote. Wow. Randy Foy I was know. 11th in minutes played for the Nuggets this decade. He was, and, and I believe that he hit a, uh, like a buzzer beater in double overtime or something to win one game like five years ago. Yeah, he deserved. He deserved at least a vote, a, a straggler. But no, I don't know what to say one. about Jokic. He's the best passing big man in in league history. What he can do and just some of the dimes that he drops is just wild. You look at the the full court heaves that he could throw and just hit guys, and it's just they always seem to be on point. Um, those just one handed dimes that that he drops. He's a, an incredibly talented scorer, too. I know his three-point percentage has waxed and waned during his time in Denver, but he is an authentic threat from beyond the arc. The way that he can really just finesse but also bully his way to the basket, um, he can move with the ball in his hands and, and put it on the floor a little bit. He's not going to face up Anthony Davis style, but he does have that 
that bandwidth in his offensive game. He is right now a, I'd say he's a top five, uh, no lower than a top seven player in the NBA. And he's someone who should probably finish in that area on, on the MVP ballot. And I just don't know what could be said about him that just hasn't already been said. Just one of the most valuable players in, in the game right now. And the fact that, you know, you end up getting him with the number 41 pick, that's going to go down as one of the best second-round picks in NBA history. I'm trying to think of who would definitely be in front of him right now. You've Manu Ginobili is going to be there. Do you put Draymond Green in front of him? But he's going to go down as easily one of the, I would say, between three and five best second-round picks in NBA history, unless I'm forgetting someone just super glaring. All right, so give me a second to climb up on my soapbox here. Um, so we, we need to uh, to address the people who still want to say that Jokic is a bad defender. Um, I think that that is the only remaining misconception about his game, and it stems from his inability to to stop guards in isolation when he switched onto them, and he doesn't really block a lot of shots or serve as a primary rim protector. But the Nuggets are consistently far better on defense with him on the court, and just watch a Nuggets game and focus only on him. Don't watch the ball. Don't watch whoever's dribbling. Don't watch where it's passed to. Just focus on Jokic, and you see how much he does in between those terminuses of offensive possessions. He consistently deters passing lanes. He consistently makes the right rotations. And those things matter so much, in addition to his his growing communication on that end of the floor. Like, I don't think that he needs to be a player who is talked about as an offensive powerhouse who is a defensive liability because he has consistently proven that that is not the case. And it really hasn't been the case, even dating back to the early portions of his career. He's slow. He's not traditionally athletic but he is an effective defensive player it's a great way he's not traditionally athletic i like it look he's i I think he does a lot of things that deserve to be counted as athleticism i mean you've seen the the water polo inspired rebound and quick passes where he doesn't even have to touch the the ball with with a second hand like that kind of stuff the coordination those are all examples of athleticism it's just not run fast jump high right I, I totally agree with you. He's also someone that looks like he very much enjoys the off seasons, and that's something that I that I can appreciate. But good to, for him. To, yeah, to your point. Go play on with the, your horses in Serbia. <laughs> or the there was the the video that surfaced where he was just like shirtless dancing, like in the woods or something. It like some weird. Good for him. Uh, good for him. But anyway, to to your point on his defense, there. What I think people also forget is there there is value in ending possessions with a rebound, and Nikola Jokic is a good defensive rebounder, so he's limiting second chance opportunities while he's on the floor. And look, there's a lot of just noise. Um, uh, ben Taylor has done a great job on this, talking about the real value of offensive rebound, uh, of rebounding in general. But there's still value in making sure opponents don't get second looks on the offensive end. He helps with that element. And then also, and you kind of talked about this, he has the IQ to kind of work in these like more aggressive schemes that the Nuggets had, had tried out. I think probably more prevalent last season than than this season like he just has the length where he can get up on guys and you know maybe it burns you time and again but he's going to get in there and force some steals poke away some balls really party crash passing lanes by doing that I don't know that that makes him this incredibly valuable defender but to call him this outright liability now it's misinformation at this point. I do think that the number of people who are still buying into that is diminishing um yeah, it's just not as small as it should be if this is a sign of progress it wasn't even something that I thought about talking about before it, like oh right. he, addressing his defense. So the fact that you brought it up, it still matters clearly, but it, like you said, it's a diminishing stance. 
Yeah, I mean, I, at this point, I think the most compelling conversation about Jokic is not really his place within the current league-wide hierarchy or his defense, but it's it's really like, is he going to be the best player in this franchise's history? I mean, Dan Issel, Alex English, Fat Lever, Dikembe Mutombo, like there have been Bobby Jones, David Thompson, like there have been some big names throughout history, but you have to think like the fact that he is on pace to spend his entire career here, and I, I'm, I'm certain that the front office is going to want to keep him in Denver as long as possible. And the trajectory that he's on that is unquestionably a Hall of Fame trajectory uh, I, I feel like it's pretty hard to argue against him definitely not yet being there, but being on pace to to take the gold home for this franchise and I all time, the, not just in the last decade. The way he plays, since a, the future is going to weigh heavily in what you just said, I, I, it looks like it should age well, his style. like Maybe he becomes, maybe he really becomes a defensive problem for the Nuggets as he gets older, but just what he does on offense, I feel like that should all age well for him, just based on right, the way he plays. Like, it's like Arvidas Sabonis is is probably a good comparison here where, you know, he came to the NBA as a 31-year-old and deep into his 30s, he was still an obviously effective offensive player just because he was a brilliant passer. He was a capable shooter from mid-range, um, even extending it out to three-point range sometimes. And I think that's the floor for an older version of Jokic. It's not like he runs the floor well already. Maybe he won't be fast enough to get some of those frustration fouls that he gets that hold us him back now. Yeah, maybe he's not leading as many fast breaks, but like you said, he could just do those one-handed rebound catches, just throw it down court, actually save himself some some energy yeah. maybe. He doesn't have to get up and down the floor. Honorable mentions. Let's get into them. Yeah, I thought this was, this was cool because there were fewer of them than we've seen with other teams, and I think it's a testament, as counterintuitive as it initially seems, I think the lack of, of depth in the honorable mentions was a testament to the quality of the options at the back end of the top ten. Just because people, it didn't seem like people were scrambling for names to fill out the back of their ballot like we've been doing with the Charlotte Hornets or the Atlanta Hawks. Um, so yeah, we we only had uh, 26 different players receive votes. We've gone over all of them that were in the top 10. So we had Chauncey Billups at 11, which I think is valid to give him some credit. Um, assuming I have my timeline right, I don't think he spent much time in Denver during this decade, right? No, he came over in... Uh... Did he spend any? Wasn't he, he traded? Yeah, he's traded. He was in the, the trade. Yeah, he was in the Mellow trade. Um, so similar to Mellow there. Uh, we had Andre Iguodala at twelve, who I I really had trouble picking between him and Aflalo for my tenth spot, just because of how important he was to that fifty-seven win team that that was setting records um, at home uh, that went to the playoffs. But then the the way he exited and joined the Golden State Warriors right after they beat him, I I don't think he. Uh, he he made fans within the Denver fan base with that move, so it was it was tough for me to 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 put him in because of the intangibles there. And I don't know if you had a similar struggle. I didn't have that same struggle, but everyone's mad at Kevin Durant for doing it. Andre Godala had the first go to the Warriors heel turn after a Steph that. hug too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after Iggy, we had uh, Aaron Aflalo at thirteen. We've already talked about him. We had Kenyon Martin at fourteen. We had Andre Miller at fifteen. We had. Nene Hilario at 16. We had Allen Iverson, who did not play during this decade, at 17. Didn't, again, like, didn't just not play for the Nuggets, but didn't play in the NBA in general. But Allen Iverson is awesome and embraces the new generation of players and supports them, and therefore I think it's valid that we're supporting him here. I like that he got a vote. Way to finesse that in there. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know if that was a, a bit of a stretch, but I'll take it. Um, in a tie for 18th, we have Malik Beasley, which I would I want to, to be clear that I did not vote for Malik Beasley. This is not my doing. This was other people. Um, and then he was tied with Mason Plumley. Are you surprised by either of those? Not really. I'm surprised that Monte Morris didn't end up number one on your ballot, but carry on. I thought about it, but then I had to knock him down. So uh, we had a big tie for 20th. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., who seems pretty certain to climb further up this list moving forward. Uh, Costa Kufus um, at, was also tied for 20th with Jameer Nelson, Marcus Camby, Marcus Camby, and Evan Fournier, who I thought would be a little bit higher as well. Um, and then tied for 25th, we had Monte Morris and Timofey Mozgov. No Al Harrington love. No Al Harrington love. But yeah, I mean, like, just looking at these guys, like, you know, I can see arguments for having... Nene for having a Flala, which we did for having Mason Plumley for having Malik Beasley, um, maybe even Morris and Mozgov, who was who was pretty valuable. I mean, valuable enough that he inked the Albatross contract in 2016 because of what he did in Denver. Yeah, if they you traded look, they traded him for multiple first round picks. Yeah, if you look at let's say the players who rank 50th or better in minutes played for the Nuggets this decade, there's just a lot of names that stand out. And you look and say, well, they were they were a good NBA player, and, and the Nuggets actually had them while they were good. Just a lot of rock-solid talent across the board here for Denver. I think it's because their worst season was 30-52. and 52. You know, they haven't it's the Knicks really best been season. in— the Their best season is in progress. Yeah. <laughs> no, I said the Knicks' best season is 30. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're—it's— I, I, one of just the more probably underrated talent farms in the NBA when you're just looking at franchises. I mean, some of these, they didn't groom all of these guys when you're going up and down the list, but Evan Fournier is someone who was really good with the Nuggets before he ends up in, in Orlando. So there's just, I'm looking at these names that rank 50th or better in minutes again, and so many stand out as, oh, hey, they were, they were good basketball players. Not only were they good basketball players, but they weren't these nobodies when they were in Denver for the most part. A lot of talent here. This is this is a fun one to try to figure out just because there there were so many legitimate options throughout the ballot. Yes, this was fun. When we resume, we will be on to the Detroit Pistons, which I imagine will be less fun, but I haven't gotten into the research for it yet. Yeah, so, I think we're going to have to talk a lot about Andre Drummond. Yeah, that's going to be rough. Um, so, yeah. so until next time, please remember to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter and on YouTube as well. It's Hardwood Knox in both instances. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, I leave you with a shout-out to Denver Nuggets legend, Gary Ford. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.